You'll turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2. If you were here Tuesday night, you're going to say, well, this is suspiciously familiar. But uh, I, Revelation chapter number 2. But, you know, sometimes you hear it and it's like, well, this would make a good one. And this would be a good way to start out the new year. Because uh, I got to thinking about the church at Ephesus. And, you know, a, a church that's going good can still start to go bad and you wouldn't be able to tell it. Um, as we look on the new year, let me read you a little story. In the days of the circuit riders, a minister was riding out one afternoon and came upon a man out working in his field. He said, fine day, isn't it? The minister called out. He said, it's fine for you, the man replied. All you have to do is ride around on that horse thinking about God all day long. Y'all know what the circuit riding preacher is, right? He said, all you have to do is ride around on your horse all day thinking about God all day long while I have to sweat here in this field and then walk home afterward. I don't think it's right that you should have things so easy while I have to work so hard. And the minister said, oh, that's, that's not true. He said, thinking about God's one of the most difficult things you can do. And to prove it, I'll give you this horse if you can think about God and nothing else for one minute. So the man agreed, and he said, all right, I'll take it. And he sat down, and uh, he said, you're on. Immediately he sat down in silence. And then 30 seconds later, he looked up to the minister and said, does that include the saddle? <laughs> the, truth is, the truth of the matter is, it's, it's not always easy to just focus on God, is it? And we can, we can get to a point where we can lose our first love. Do you remember your first love with Jesus Christ? you remember when you first got saved? Do you remember... I remember when I first got saved, and I remember thinking, I'm never going to be alone. And being right with God, being right with our Heavenly Father, and knowing that before I met Jesus Christ, I was bound and on my way to hell. And all you had to do was nothing. And it was so sweet, and I wanted to please the Lord, and I wanted to tell people about the Lord. My stepbrother accused me, he said, every time you go to church, you come home, you know, acting like you're preaching or something. And that doesn't mean that I was born to preach or anything like that. But, you know, when, when you first get saved, you want someone else to know about it. You know, this summer when we were, uh, when we were learning how to witness, and I played that one video from the atheist, Teller, Penn or Teller, one of them, but he's an atheist. And he said, if I really believed in a place like hell, if I really believed that when people died and go to hell, that they would go to a place where they would burn in everlasting punishment, he said, I would want, it, I would want everyone to know, and I had that solution. That's it. I'm trying to get back to what he was saying. He said, and if I, and if I knew that introducing them to, to Christ, or if I knew that I had that solution and I didn't tell somebody how to avoid that eternity in hell. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them about the answer? Did y'all follow that? That was a little bit mixed up and jumbled up. But, you know, when you first get saved, you, you want people to know. You know you were 
bound and headed for hell, and you want people to know about the answer. You want people to know about Jesus Christ. But something can happen in life and in churches. A church can be going and growing in all those catchphrases, and they can be out witnessing, and they can send out missionaries. They can be healthy. They can be discipling people and teaching people about the Bible, and people just want to be there and, and, and just being there, you're close to the Lord. You know when you're close to the Lord. And this church at Ephesus was a church that was close to the Lord when they were founded. You read over in the book of Acts, you know, Paul uh, brought together the church at Ephesus. Paul had taught them. Paul had preached to them. And he said, I have not shunned to declare unto you the, gospel, the whole gospel, whole counsel of God. You know, Paul, Paul was faithful to teach them. And they were faithful to learn. When they first became a church, they were made up of a bunch of people that, that dealt in the crafts, that worshipped idols, that had idols. And uh, they put those things away, and they wouldn't allow error in the church. Let's read our passage here. It says, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars and has borne and has patience. And for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. All these things, that's a good report from the Lord Jesus Christ. They've they've done these things. And he says, uh. He says in verse number four, he said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Thou hast left thy first love. You know, when I talked about the fella uh, that couldn't focus on Christ, the fact is it's much easier to keep our things on the minds of the world with all the things that concern us every day. But they get, uh, they get commended. For five things, they acknowledge five. Jesus sees five different things in them. He says they're working their labor. You know, a church can get busy. Can uh, the Sunday school class? It's a lot of work to to do the preaching. Is a lot of work to to take care of the church to have a place for people. But not just that, but the witnessing and the going. He recognized their work and their labor, and their patience and endurance. And that they couldn't bear those that were evil. One of the things that can happen in a church is error can come in. You can allow it to take root. You can allow false doctrine to come in and to, and to take root in a church. But they didn't do that. They tried all the preachers and teachers and rejected the false. And they bore up under all for the sake of Christ's name. They bore up under persecution. They bore up under trials. They bore up under tribulation. And they labored and they did not faint. They didn't give up. So the time comes. I don't know. This is the part where I come down just to talk to us. You know, as we look out on the coming year, The question to ask ourselves and to ask yourself personally, because revival begins with each individual. 
Revival begins in each home. The, revival, the, the church is made up of members, and it's, it's the relationship of those members with God. And so what I want to ask you today is, have you left your first love? Do you still have that love of Christ? Do you still, do you still see God's word when it opens up to you? Or has something happened? Has it kind of tempered? You know, it's like hot coffee that comes out of the pot, nice and fresh. You say, oh, you're bringing the world. Hot coffee that comes out, it's nice and fresh, but you leave it out and it just kind of gets cold, right? It's not, it's not quite the way it was. And it's not because God's left us. Because God's love is unchanging. He's always there. But it's your relationship. Is it the time spent with him? So I want to look at today these three things that Jesus told him to do. He told him, number one, to repent. He told him to remember and to repent and to return to their first works. So how do you lose your first love? What takes place? What happens when the passion we once had for Christ is replaced by legalism or self-righteousness or by a mechanical form of Christianity? It contains everything on the outside looks right, but something on the inside, that passion is gone. That, that passion that you first had, that desire to be with Christ, that desire to spend time. It's like in a relationship between a man and a wife when you're dating. A man does everything for you. He opens the door for you. Well, it, it, normally, I don't know how it went for everybody, but he'll open the door. I know when I first married, before I got married to Dee Dee, I wanted to pay attention. What, what made her happy? What pleased her? In your relationship with Christ, when you first, what pleased him? Over time in a church, we begin to focus more on the form instead of the substance. We, get, we can get, as a church, become formal. Everything that was working, it can keep going on and on like a machine. We become consumed with knowledge instead of holiness. Our personal holiness is no longer our quest. We become convinced that knowledge is what makes us holy. And thus knowledge is something we can attain for ourselves. Holiness is something that we have to get from God. That man, as he was sitting down and he was trying to think of the Lord, all he could think about was the horse. And that's the point I was trying to make. We, we it's so easy to become focused on what we have around us, what what we have directly around us. We become consumed with knowledge. We look at the Bible and it becomes a textbook. We learn verses. We learn that this ties to that, and this other thing ties to that. And you can study without seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. I was reading about a man who was in seminary, and he had, in, in seminary, he was learning to, to break down the Greek, and he was all into his class. He was, he was really devoted to it, and he pulled out, he wrote the Greek down. He had the book of Romans out, and he put the Greek down on one side, and he was just consumed with studying that out and, and breaking down the book of Romans and seeing the Greek and understanding the language and, and, and all the tenses and the verbs, and he just was caught up in all of it. One day he looked down at that notebook that he'd been working on for three months for that class. He looked down and he looked over at God's word. 
And all of a sudden it hit him that he was consumed with the knowledge of God's word without any concern for the Savior that was behind God's word. He had left his first love behind in all of that studying. We become consumed with wanting to know knowledge, with wanting to know God's word. You can, you can put the Lord aside studying his word. I've told you about some of these lessons I've heard, some sermons I've heard. They do more talking about the Bible than actually talking in the Bible. <laughs> they do more talking about the things around God. What kind of shoes did they wear? When was this temple built? How was this temple built? Where did they get the rocks from? Where did they get the mortar from? I mean, you can do a lot of discussing about the Bible without actually talking about the God of the Bible. What did they do during this time period? Who else was a king during this time? When did Caesar rule? When did all this take place? Oh, that's good information. What does God want for you? What does God want you to do? We become consumed with knowledge instead of holiness. Something, knowledge that we can attain for ourselves replaces God's presence and lordship in our life. Sometimes something we can't do for ourselves, what we know becomes more important than what we are. We become comfortable with the holy instead of being in awe in it. You know, when uh, uh, Isaiah was in God's presence, he said, woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. Anytime someone was confronted with the holy angels, with, with God's presence, they were fully aware of the dirt on themselves. You ever come from outside? This is just a simple illustration. But you're working outside in the summertime and got on that polyester shirt maybe, and you're doing just fine while you're out there in the sun. I mean, you just had a shower an hour ago. You walk in the house, and you can smell yourself. <laughs> this is very simplistic, but in God's presence, every bit of dirt on you, you think you're just fine, but in God's presence, you, you, that, you feel that dirt on you. You feel your sin. You become aware of it. It's kind of like the house that looks clean to you till someone knocks on the front door. But we become comfortable in God's presence. We become a little too comfortable with being in the presence of the holy instead of being in awe of who God is. Instead of seeing the creator, we just see a buddy. We see the man upstairs or something like that. That's when your love begins to wax cold. That's when you, that's when you begin to leave your first love. We lose our concern for the lost. This causes us to be more concerned with the comfort of the saints than with the salvation of the lost. You know, when we were working on the church and, and fixing things, I was so worried that all I was doing was focusing. I think there was a few people that thought that was all I was worried about was just fixing the church. You know, comfort. Somebody said they knew a church that they had worse chairs than we were sitting on and they gave way more to, to everybody else. And it is a danger. I mean, a church can get caught up. You know, in the, in, the life of a, in the life of a church, Dr. Ruttman talks about the man. God calls a man 
to a ministry. God moves on a man's heart. A man like Elijah, a man like uh, Billy Sunday or something like that, or Richard Wormbrand. Richard Wormbrand was in prison over in communist Russia for years, and he comes out and he has a ministry, the the Voice of the Martyrs ministry. But God calls a man, and that man creates a movement. He follows and he obeys God, and it becomes a movement of people. People become inspired. God uses that man to inspire people, kind of like God used Moses to inspire the Israelites, and it becomes a movement. And then gradually that movement begins to lose some momentum, but it's still functioning. It's still working. You know, when we were looking at uh, where to give money, you know, I was looking at Voice of the Martyrs, and Richard Wormbrand's story had really touched me, and, I, and they helped people all around the world. But I got to looking on the Internet, and I saw the building that they had built and how they had put millions into this building, yet the son of Richard Wormbrand, who was trying to get money to give to pastors' wives who were, who were in prison, he, he was having trouble getting the money for that. But here they had this building that looked <laughs> better than any mall in Houston with the glass front and everything. And there's a time when it goes from a man to a movement to a machine. And everything's operating. The stationery is being ordered. All of this stuff is being taken care of automatically. You have janitors. You have people taking care of things. And it just keeps going. There's no love of God in there, but it just keeps going, just keeps functioning. And it becomes a machine. And then after a while, it becomes so far away from God, it just becomes a monument. That building is in place. It's been working for years. Nobody remembers what it was like in the beginning. Nobody remembers that movement that took place. Here more recently, you have the, the Salvation Army, they, or YMCA. You know, our, uh, our colleges, our universities, they started out as seminaries. They started out to teach young men how to read and how to preach the gospel. They turn into great seminaries. They turn into great colleges and universities, and they'll have nothing to do with God now. So we lose our concern for the lost. We become callous to the Holy Spirit and thus become dulled to the small besetting sins that distract us. You know, the Holy Spirit, will, he'll, he'll catch you on the side. He'll nudge you. He'll push you. You start to do something, and the Holy Spirit will say, whoa, now. And you first get saved, and you first start following the Lord, or a church is following the Lord. They become aware. They're they're always listening for the the Spirit's guidance. They're always listening for the Holy Spirit. And and there's something wrong. You know, it's like, well, let's pull back from this because we're going to get out of God's will this way. But you can push back. Paul talks about their conscience being seared with a hot iron, and he's talking about false doctrine and stuff. But to think it can happen to where your conscience becomes seared, where you no longer hear the Holy Spirit. You, you get away from God. You begin to ignore. You begin to ignore, and that voice gets a little quieter and a little quieter and a little quieter until you've lost your first love. Become callous to the Holy Spirit. It manifests itself in your fellowship. We we are satisfied to live at odds with other Christians, thus bringing division into the church. We're passionately in love with Jesus. 
When we are passionately in love with Jesus, we're sensitive to grieving his spirit. But when we become cold, we lose that sensitivity. Gossip, pride, jealousy, bitterness, attitudes of spiritual, one-upmanship, and a host of other ungodly things are allowed to dwell within us because we are insensitive to how much this displeases God. Another thing that happens, we become content with what we are instead of being driven to become more like Christ. You reach a plateau in your Christian walk. You, you, you want to draw closer and closer to Christ, but at some point, you say, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't hang out with those that do. I'm doing all right. And you begin to quit trying. And that's like the illustration of rowing up river. You know, you, you're in a boat and you're rowing and you're going up river. You have to constantly paddle, constantly paddle. But there's no staying still. As soon as you put the oars back in the boat, you're going back down river and you're losing ground. And so it is with our walk with Christ. You ship oars, you're just going to slide back. So we become content with what we are instead of being driven to become more like Christ. The passion for becoming more like Christ is diminished. Instead of comparing ourselves to Jesus, we begin to compare ourselves against one another, always reasoning within ourselves that as long as we are better than so-and-so, we're okay. And this attitude leads to self-righteousness. Well, I'm not as bad as him. He went out on, look what they did. They went out on Saturday night and then showed up at the church. I know what you were doing last night. I wasn't doing that. Yeah, but you weren't with the Lord either, were you? Watching gladiators on TV or something, I don't know. But God, you, you, you weren't spending time with the Lord either. And you're comparing yourselves with each other instead of comparing yourselves with Jesus Christ. We begin to care more for the things of the world than we do for Christ. Over in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul said, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So this is the bottom line. We become dispassionate and cool in our relationship with Christ. When Stephen, over in Acts chapter number 7, when Stephen was standing in front of the Sanhedrin, how would you classify his relationship with Christ? Was he cool or hot? He stood up and he pointed at them and he said, you, you hypocrites, you have always slain the prophets. When he took those stones, he, was, he saw Jesus Christ standing on the right hand of God. When Paul was hunted by the Jews, was he on fire for Christ or had he fallen? So what's the remedy? Jesus says over in verse number five, he says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. You should go back and remember. Do you remember that time? Do you remember that sweet fellowship? And then the next thing to do is not just a remembering, but it's repenting. He says, and repent. Verse number five, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. And repentance isn't just a matter of saying, I'm sorry, Lord. 
It's like a kid reaching in the cookie bar, jar. They get caught and they say, I'm sorry. You're not sorry that you were reaching for the cookie. You're sorry that you got caught reaching for the cookie. We see the difference in our study of David and Saul. Saul's repentance was simply so that he could save face in front of the people. Saul's repentance wasn't really a change of heart. It wasn't, it wasn't really anything to affect his life. It was simply to affect what he looked like. It wasn't actually in the heart. But we see David later with Bathsheba when he's caught in that sin and Nathan says, thou art the man. To me, that's just a classic repentance there because David said, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't say I'd sinned against Nathan. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. He didn't say I sinned against Bathsheba, even though he had. He said, I sinned against the Lord. It's realizing who you're sinning against. It's a true repentance that takes place. And let me tell you something. Let me be honest about it. Be willing to admit when you're not willing to admit. Because true repentance involves honesty. Lord, I want to stop this. I just don't know how to. I want to stop this, but I don't. You know, the fellow, when Jesus said, if you have, if you believe, he was going to heal his son. He said, if you believe, I will. He said, Lord, I believe. Help me thou mine unbelief. Be honest with the Lord, not in a mean way. <laughs> not tell him I'm not going to. Just be honest about what's going on inside. Be willing to turn. Repent is to turn away. It's a change of mind. It's turning back away from what you were doing, from the path you were on. It's a sincere repentance. To repent is to have a change of heart. Simply more than saying, I'm sorry, it's correcting the problem. So God says to repent and do the first works. To return. So why does love grow cold? The easy answer is because you don't spend time with the Lord. A relationship has to be cultivated like a plant. And the cultivating is usually for both parties. In, a, in our relationships, husbands and wives or friends, that relationship like a plant, it has to be watered. It has to be cultivated. Spend time together, right? But with God on his side, he's unchangeable. He's not the one that's left, but it's on our side. So how do you cultivate that relationship? God will be as close or as near as you'll let him. It's not that God's love for us weakens or changes. One of the first things to do is obedience. When your love begins to wax cold, when you, when you begin to leave your first love, it's disobedience that begins to pull you away. So it's turning to be obedient to God's word, turning to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, and turning to be obedient to, to God's ways of doing things. Obedience, sacrifice, action. And here's one of the most important ones. It's knee time. Not me time. But it's knee time. It's time in prayer. You know, one of the reasons that your love grows cold, one of the reasons you leave your first love is because you quit talking to them. 
you know, what do they always say in a relationship? Communication, 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 right? So for your relationship to get back with God and our relationship as a church, we want to be in constant prayer. How do you avoid being a machine in church? How do you avoid the, the man movement machine monument? It's the church that stays in prayer to God because man can keep a machine going, but only God can keep the heart going. And he says, remember from where, art, where thou art fallen. Revelation 2, 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come quickly unto thee and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. And here he's talking to the church at Ephesus. God won't disown his children, but he can pull his spirit back. You can still function. You can still go on. But God can pull his spirit back, and you won't have the same power. 